This is Aikido Discussed, your regular weekly Aikido podcast. We talk about everything that is the martial art of Aikido. I am Christopher Hine, head instructor at Aikido Fresno, and with me today is Joshua Tihi, assistant instructor at Aikido Fresno, and Maya Solano McDaniel, second Q and student at Aikido Fresno. All, All right, right. got yeah. through that. Yeah, right through that. Champs. What are we talking about today? We we got a comment. Yes. Um, let me go ahead and read that. And it was that, a good actually. one. Good enough that we thought. Let's. Let's did do they, it. It's from yeah. Rob Kitson. Right? They actually or, asked or, specifically or for us to do this, right? Yes. Okay, so it wasn't like they just said, "Hey, here's," a, and we chose to. They were like, "Hey, you should do a podcast on blank." Well, so let me just read it here. Okay. So. One of our beloved patrons, Rob Kitson, um, said, greetings from Goleta, California. Also, shout out, I went to UC Santa Barbara, so Goleta, what's up? Um, I'm wondering if you guys can do an episode about teaching children and keeping them engaged during class. How do you redirect distracted kids? How do you keep them focused on the task at hand as opposed to the side conversations they want to have about Fortnite? Is this a common problem? I don't know. No, uh, it depends, I guess, on where you're at. Like, a, there's Minecraft was popular for a oh, while. Yeah, Fortnite, yeah. I've been hearing more and more. But, you know, oh, whatever yeah. the hot thing. Fortnite dances. Yeah, yeah. Do they uh, dance during kids' the, class? Do no. they, like, do all they the little dances and stuff? Oh, yeah. Dude was little kid dabbing just the other day. Real good doing. <laughs> well, that's a kid at the Ninja Star thing. No, no, no. This was uh, Lewis. Oh, Lewis. Lewis doing a little, dab, little dabbing. Uh, is it D-A-P or D-A-B? D-A-B. Every D-A-B. time you say dab, I crack dab. It's dabbing. 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 Um, <laughs> dab. What was, dab. The, what was the game that little, little for a while that, uh, oh, Kamadata? That. Ka- Kama- Kamadachi. Yeah. No. Kamadachi? Tamagotchi? Tamagotchi. No, 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 no. That was a long time it's the, ago. It's the wooden thing with the ball and a point and you... You try and, like, get the, yeah. the ball on the A long thing. time ago. So when I was in my 30s is when that was... Oh, anyway, that was, yeah, that that was, was like... Ancient history. They were bringing... I was a child. Kids were bringing it in. Uh, it was a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, now so, we've all So now that we've been Fortnite, distracted. Really old. Fortnite. So this is a good one. And, this is a uh, Fortnite podcast now. And it... It it came at a very perfect time, and maybe or maybe not. Rod knew this, but we had a kids testing night just the other day, so two plus hours of dealing with this exact thing. And two it came plus four. Yeah, some of us were there all yeah. night, and it came <laughs> off. I think really well for the most part. You know, you can see, or personally watching these kids after. Uh, an hour of instruction, an hour of testing, and probably like 20 minutes of sitting uh, on the mat watching the other children get their belts, finally some of the kids started to, to crack, you know. And there were the ones that cracked, you know, two minutes into the training. But um, for the most part, they would be able to sit there and just be nice and and quiet and respectful and do what they needed to do. Yeah. Now, how we got there, I'm not a good, sure. Chris, I'll tell you exactly how we got there. I spent a long time working on this. I um, was going to say before you start, just as a like beginning aside, like I feel like with kids, like the number one thing is you gotta have realistic expectations of kids because they are kids. Which I'm sure Rob, you know this, but. Um, you know, you can't expect the same things from them as you would of adults, which seems like a no dub. But I think like sometimes when you're used to working with adults, you forget that kids have shorter attention spans. Sometimes we forget that adults have shorter attention spans. But like 
just remembering like what kids are capable of and then going I know what you're capable of let's work towards that rather than having ridiculously high expectations and And the the kids always disappointing you because of it right the goal should be uh, always having them right above what they're capable of or on that line right on the edge I mean that's you know like if anything and this is not kids this is all human beings if you're you're doing a drill you want the drill to be challenging but not way over their heads because if the way over their heads, they just get defeated over and over and over and they don't do well with it. And if it's not challenging them, then they're not growing. It's just a stagnation exercise. And they're bored. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and I kind of want to follow up what Maya was saying uh, about the, you know, have realistic expectations. I remember when I was teaching in the garage, so so for a while there, you know, uh, I was teaching for about five years. I taught in a garage at my house. Um, And that was like a time, it was like the crucible time for me, you know, where I really like boiled out all that I thought was Aikido and and I didn't have a kids class of course because it's just like it's for serious adults and you're always being hardcore and whatever we were slamming each other around all the time and that was you know that was that time for me um I remember saying at that time you know well if I ever have a kids class again then uh I'm not going to do this um this kind of like uh, try to teach kids Aikido because Aikido is too complicated for kids. That was, you know, like my thought process. Like there's too much understanding like, you know, Koki Musubi Wase Zanshin over the heads of kids. And, you know, so kids can't learn that. So I was like, if I have a kid's class, I'm just going to box and wrestle with them and mm-hmm. then maybe swing some sticks. And that's, you know, that'll be kid's class, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, then when I got Aikido Fresno, um, I inherited a group of Aikido kids. And so it's like, well, okay, this is, I mean, I guess I could just close this program down entirely and start a new program. I also knew that running a professional dojo meant I was required now to have a kid's class. Not not in like the moralistic sense, but in the financial sense, like if I didn't have a kid's class, it was going to be hard to make rent every month. So yep. um, I knew I needed a kid's class. I had already inherited an Aikido kid's class, and um, I really wanted to make sure that I could continue to support the business. So, uh, so then I had to like think about what I was teaching these kids. Um, and it occurred to me more and more that like while I can't maybe give them this super advanced idea of Aikido that I had, um, I could start them on the path to that. So as they became teenagers and uh, ready to move on, they could take on the new skills that their bigger brain could now handle, you know? So there's only so much a kid can do. And so, you know, a big part of that to me is about them being able to control themselves. Because only once you can control yourself, you know, we were talking about this last episode, once you have kokyu, then you can begin to practice Aikido. And so to me, the, the, the practice of the kids came about giving them kokyu. So exactly what Rob's question is, is the thing I think you should be making fundamental to Aikido. And not saying, you know, like, I wish they could pay attention more so I could teach them these advanced techniques. If they can't pay attention more, then you got to work on their attention. Right. That's what you focus on. Right. And you have to understand that that is now your goal. So I had, I, mean, I don't know where Rob's coming from on this, but um, this this was my feeling. This was my trials originally was I wanted to get them to pay attention quick so I could then teach them what I thought was important for Aikido, not realizing that the work was actually in right. getting, getting them to them pay in. attention. Right. Right. And so like that was the work. And that is Aikido. That's important. Yes, it's, it's absolutely. Central yeah. If, if you don't yeah. have Koki, you can't have no Aikido. Right. Um, so, uh, so my classes more and more became about getting the kids to focus. And, you know, if you go from our, um, you know, our highest ranking kids, uh, which I think the highest ranking kids are, they're, they're sub, they're 11, I think is the oldest kid we have in the kids class. Um, cause we push them at 13, we make them join the adult class. Um, and at 12, it's wishy-washy. They can, they can stay in kids class for another year if they want, or they can go up to the adult class at 12. But, um, so 11 being the oldest, if you look at the line, 
really consistently all the way to my left, you know, so it's the right, uh, their right, um, so meaning the highest ranking students. Those kids sit perfectly still and cannot be bothered. And then as you go down the line, they get more and more wiggly as they go, you know? And so while if you ask them to describe and demonstrate ikkyo, some of them do better and some of them do worse, uh, you know, like in the middle. So meaning that, you know, the highest rank maybe don't always have the best ikkyo or whatever, whatever technique we're talking about, but the highest rank do sit the best. Right, right. They can control themselves the best. And that's because I slanted everything to working on giving the kids kokyu. So, and that's a huge life lesson. Like, you can't downplay that because maybe for an adult, like, oh, I know how to sit still. And whether you do or not, it's really actually questionable. Mm-hmm. But but <laughs> while that might not be a big deal for an adult, um, for a kid, that's a huge deal. And if you can get a kid to sit still for an hour, that's impressive. Right. And our high-ranking students can sit still for an hour. You know, like, mm-hmm. they can go right through it and not be taxed and sit through like champs like it was great um so at kids night you know so it's really great i think that you uh during the belt ceremony so after they've tested um chris sits down and each kid in order of belt rank he calls them up talks to them about how they did on the test gives them their belt or whatever rank they got we all clap and then the next person goes and so 18 kids were there so that was a long freaking time for all these kids to be sitting and trying to keep it together while the other kids take their turns and After already having gone through a long training like and an a hour, long hour and a half of training and testing, yeah, right. and this is big for most of the kids, like because what the long the longer class is forty five minutes usually, right. so it's a big day. Um, but uh, uh, one of the the oldest kids, Izzy, she is, is one of the best. Uh, she's the second highest or highest, depending. The, on the two are the same rank, the same yeah. Rank, so Jonathan yeah. and Izzy, same rank. And so we were standing next to that, the higher side of the um, the line. And uh, we were like, hey, you guys need to move down to make room for the, the kids shifting around. And she was just sitting there. And we were like, Izzy, 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 trying to call her name to, to get her attention to scoot down. And she was just sitting and says, She thought it was a test or something. You know, right. she thought like she was, someone was trying to distract her. And she's like, nope, I'm focused. I'm here doing what I need to do. It was amazing. And we were, you know, trying to like get her to move. But like she was just not breaking, just staring straight forward. And not, and the other kids are starting to make faces at each other and screw around. Sure, and, as you go down the line, wigglier and more talky. Exactly. Because it's just like, oh, you can only do so much. It's so long and, in. And that was just like a perfect. And Jonathan next to her was doing the same yeah. thing. He just yeah. had it right And together. it was also interesting because, so for some of the kids, fine before they got their belt but then once their part of it was done and they had to go back to the line then they were kind of done so they're like ah, i can laugh and do whatever i want you know but with those older kids it was like boom they're solid they're you know doing what they need to do the, the whole time right so i mean i think uh get, getting at rob's question here and, and i mean I, I think he wants some tips and techniques and i totally want to get into that too but uh, you know i think the first thing is to shift your attention to going from worrying about teaching them something you're interested in right so like you know maybe you're interested in them getting kokunage or you're interested in them pinning well or whatever right to to what specifically they need you know, like, and I think that's the first shift you have to make. That's the first shift I had to make was I shift my mind to go, no, these kids need to learn kokyu. How do we give them kokyu? And so that was the first thing that got me in the right track, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, from that, once you realize that, then you just begin giving them tasks that require that constantly. And you have to be, you know, so like, um, you know, I always say with the kids, you have to, they have to know a, that you love them. And you know, I don't mean that in any weird way. I just mean that you're there for you. I support you. I am here for you. Um, and I'm not going to put my crap on you. And, and this that's is a, a safe environment. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and it's hard sometimes not to put your crap on someone else, you know, like I'm grumpy today or I'm whatever, you know, 
you have to always be patient with the kid and present with the kid and work at the kid's level. Like So they have to know you care about them. Once they know you care about them, then you have to hold them accountable. And that accountability, sometimes you say like, oh, well, I have sympathy for the kid. If that sympathy is getting in the way of helping that kid grow, you cannot have that, right? So you have to be ruthless in your criticalness of what's happening here, right? And that doesn't mean you don't approach everyone at their own level. That's part of caring about them, right? So some kids I can't be real harsh with because it'll break them. It's too much for them. But I have to play right at the level and I have to be 100% clear with them. And once they understand what the rules are, then I hold them accountable for holding up to those rules, making sure they can do that. you know, we don't have any severe punishments. I don't use exercise really as a punishment. The only time I'll kind of ever use exercise as a punishment is if um, the exercise is actually what they need to get better at, right? Right. So like they're being real slow or they're being real lazy or they're being real whatever. Then I will use the exercise as the punishment, but it's not really a punishment. It's just making them do the exercise more so they realize they can do it. Um, But other than that, what I do is I make them sit off the mat. Um, So when a kid starts to get out of line, I sit them off the mat. I sit them on a stool by the side so they can't interfere with anything or play with anything. They're on their own sitting there. Um, And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to draw extra attention to it. You don't have to sit them in front of the class or try and embarrass them or anything. But you do need to sit them separate so they have a moment to register. I'm separate from everyone. Why? Then I go over and I ask them, why did I sit you over here, you know, or why are you over here? Something to that effect, right? So they understand that their actions put them there. That's why that happened. Um, and then if they can tell me quickly, we'll begin to assess it. If they can't tell me, I won't give them very long. I'm not going to sit there very long. If they cannot tell me or refuse to tell me, I'll, I'll tell them, think about it longer, and I'll be back again in a little bit. And what's great about this is they're watching the other kids playing and having fun and realizing that they're not getting to play and have fun. And the reason for that is because they couldn't understand why they're over there, right? And so, like, I just want to put two and two together. That's it. Cause effect. Right, exactly right. And I want it to make it clear and simple to them as possible. You can't use an angry tone with them. You can't uh, treat them bad. You can't treat them like they've done anything terrible. You just need to understand that there's a rule. You broke the rule. What is that and why? Then uh, once we begin talking about it, I want to make sure that it's clear that they know why I put them over there. You know, it's not not a made up reason, you know, like, oh, you don't like me or you don't, you know, whatever. So I want to make sure that I'm crystal clear as to why I set them off. So, you know, if you're not crystal clear as to why you would set a kid off the mat, don't set them off the mat, right? Because you should be able to explain explicitly why it is you set them off, but make them explain it to you. Talk through why that is. Talk through why that's not safe or not conductive to learning Aikido. And then when they understand that, ask them if they understand, if they plan to repeat their behavior. And then if everything's cool, you know, check, 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 you know, they understand it and they, they're not going to repeat the behavior, then set them back on the mat happily, right? And let that go. You can't hold any grumpy feelings. Once we've been through it, you're done. You can't pick on that kid anymore, right? That That's done. That's over. And um, it seems like that I've seen work well many times yeah you know? yeah so what leads up to that point to when you set them off the mat like what comes before that that point right uh, and so like you know getting in to, with that with rob's question because mm-hmm. i think this is really important you know what is it they're doing, right? So are they hurting another kid? Are they being too aggressive? Are they not following a rule? Are they are they interfering with the teacher instructing? So like no one can hear what the instructor's saying because the kid's being unruly or something, right? And like mm-hmm. we never get there with our school anymore. But um, you know, what's happening? Are they not able to sit in Seza? And so basically the way the structure is once we start, um, while instruction's going on, the kid's job is to sit in Seza with their hands on their knees, a straight back, eyes forward, paying attention to what's going on. If they consistently break that, you know, and, and again, you got to be at the kid's level. So a four-year-old is going to break that more. Right, right. Right. So roughly I'm looking for them to sit in Seza. 
right? Ish. Not talk. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's what I'm looking for. And if they can't do that, then then I'll, I'll I'll first you know reprimand them verbally. You know, tell them like, hey, what should you be doing right, right now? You know, and and it almost always starts with that. I don't tell them what to do. I ask right. them if they know what they should do. Like, how should you be sitting? Exactly right. Now? right. But, yeah, yeah. I say that I don't know how many times a day, um, but but you know, how should you be sitting? Is that what you should be doing right now? You know, and generally they quickly get that, and then they'll pop right up like they're supposed to be. Um, and then if that continues, that's when I'll set them off the mat, you know. So, so you know, it's not like uh, they make a small flaw and I immediately set them off. They make a flaw, I point that out to them. And so I have to be very mindful, right? So I have to pay attention when they're doing that because if I get so wrapped up in my own crap that I can't notice that they've been screwing off for 10 minutes, then they're not getting it, right? So right. they make a mistake, I correct that right away. I'm right on top of that, right? Um, anyway, so so they get set off the mat for when they consistently are not able to correct a problem, right? And you've established with them that they know that they're yes. breaking that rule yes. of purpose. Yes, yes, And, you know, I like to do stuff, too, like where I'll question the whole class. Like, you know, if I see a problem in class uh, and I've hit the individual a couple times and they're not getting it, I'll stop the whole class. I'll never point out who it is, but I'll say, like, class, what should we do in this kind of situation? And you'll get several kids sticking up their hand and saying, you know, like, oh, you should do this or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That way uh, they understand that their peers also know those rules and their peers are following those same rules. Every kid gets treated exactly the same, right? Mm -hmm. Um, While I address their issues on an individual level, their treatment and expectation level is all roughly the same. So um, going back to keeping, sort of keeping the interest, right? So um, you know, let's say we've trained the kids so that they can kind of, they have a, a, enough cocu. There's still only a certain amount of um, a particular thing that they can do for a particular time before That's just right. being kids, their mind starts to wander or they start to do other things. So from a class structure, how do you keep it so that, you know, you can't just do roles for, right. you know, <laughs> right. 30 minutes or whatever. Right. You can't just like do Tino Hanko for, for however long. So what's the sort of process of keeping keeping everything together like that? Um, so, again, it depends on the kid and, and what you're doing. Um, but, so, for example, good good differences between my four- to six-year-old class and my seven- to uh, 12-year-old class, um, those kids are operating at hugely different levels. Yeah. So four to six, the classes are go, 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 meaning, you know, Here's a couple things. Let's go through them. Here's a couple more things. Let's go through them. Here's a couple more things. Let's go through them. I have to cycle at a rate faster than they can possibly get bored. And it's hard when you're trying to structure a lesson in that because you have tiny windows to hit really hard. To correct things. Right. right. Exactly right. And so that's like when I'm trying to get them to get things like, for example, rolling or footwork patterns or um, haragi or something like that where I'm trying to get them to like – you know, work this specific Aikido idea, it has to be like that quick changeover, quick changeover, quick changeover. Um, then I try and structure games that they find fun. And I don't I don't have to do that anymore because they just want to play the game, quote unquote. Right. You know, like they think this is a game. So they could play that for, you know, 15 minutes straight or something. So I try and find games structured um, that they engage in that teach them those same skills. Um, and a lot of those, you know, like, I don't know, I've spent a lot of time thinking and working with these. So I have a lot of games that, like, make them focus on, uh, you know, objectives. And so think of your gross Aikido objectives instead of your specific Aikido objectives. So specific Aikido objective, you know, um, do a good kokyunage. That's a lot. I mean, you know, especially for like four to six year olds, like that's so many intensive little cycles of how to eat. It's a lot, you know, it's a lot. So, so instead think of like, well, you have to have balance. So 
balance beam games, that's good, right? Um, some kind of where they have to run a line or something like that. That's what your overall skill, you know? So like we have timing games. We have games where they, they learn how to like follow the rhythm of a sword moving up and down. Um, we have positioning games where they have to like understand where they are in space and where the other kids are, uh, maybe going to tag them from multiple directions or something, you know? So we're working gross Aikido skills at a young age instead of anything specific. And as an adult, it's real easy to focus on the part that's neat to you and you understand why that part's neat but the kids don't and so you gotta you gotta play it in a way that they don't even know they're learning sometimes you know how do you get them to because you also do want them to understand why they're doing some of the things that they're doing and you i feel like you do a pretty good job because being one of the testers on friday for kids night um you know some of the the important like the stripes are having them understand different concepts in little bits and pieces how do you discuss those more kind of theoretical concepts with them in such a way that they don't get bored in class like how do you melt that in yeah so um so that's another thing you know i can't hit it consistently you know so if i'm working with an adult and i want them to get the concept of kokyu I'll have a conversation with them about it. You know, they'll tell me some things. I'll tell them some things. They'll tell me some things like that. Right. Um, But yeah, if you didn't know what a conversation was, Um, (laughs) is that a conversation? So I say something and you, and then we go back and forth. (laughs) But yes, (laughs) no, um, but, but, uh, but with the kids, you know, like um, my first level is that they can pair it, right? If they can pair it, that's level one for the kid, meaning they can repeat back what I say. Right uh-huh. now, understand when a kid parrots, they do not understand right, what right. they're parroting. Yep. But that's the first stage because that means the rough information, the like overall concept, has gone into their brain. That they can't do anything with it yet, but it's gone into their. They brain. They have a word association. Right. Exactly. Right. And then basically from there into adulthood, I'm working with them in tiny bits as to like. Why would you do this? Oh, why would you do this? And it's really great. Like, you got to look for teaching moments with that stuff, too, is to, like, hit them when they did that thing. They did that concept that they can parrot and then say, hey, what did you use right there? And then they'll say the parroted thing. And then they're like, oh. And then they start registering that that parroted thing actually means something. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's not just a sentence that they've memorized. Now it's like, oh, that goes with this. And I have done this in this game or in this, you know, like, so we play a game called uh, Territory where basically there's one kid in a box. It's kind of a big box, like a long box. Um, And the other kids try to run through. And all the other kids run through whenever they want. It's mayhem, right? And the kid in the middle has to pay attention and try and tag the other kids. And, and the kids are smart. You know, they learn to work off of each other. So when one kid comes from one direction, another kid can come from another direction so they can get through the box, right? And the person in the middle is trying to tag them. And if he tags them, they get out of the box and the kid that they tag goes in the box, right? Uh-huh. Um, anyways, but with this game, uh, there's lots of eye key moments that are really nice. Like, you know, someone screwed with their intention or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can point those out and be like, hey, look, you did eye key there. Or, you know, like, and so they start registering what the parroted sentence they've memorized is goes with an actual action that they're performing. And I think it's important to keep in mind as an instructor that, like, um, it's not all going to come out at one time also mm-hmm. in, in the person, you know. So um, you could be having them do something a bunch and they're not getting it or it looks ridiculous or whatever. But do it enough and enough and enough and enough and enough. And then one day it's going to click and suddenly they're going to know the names of all the grabs or they're going to be able to do all these stuff. And then, again, be aware that, like, maybe – they don't quite understand it yet. Right. 
but that's again the building it's gonna come. blocks. It's gonna so, come. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's the important. You know, with the little kids, you know, the the four year olds or whatever, we just run them through stuff, and so we'll just be like, get up, and do roll on the ground or whatever, you know. Um, and it seems kind of silly in one respect because it's like, well, what, we're just moving around. But then later, when um, you can say, do a Sugiyashi step, and they can do it. Uh, do an Ayumi, and they can do it. Um, they can know the, like these things. Then you can clearly see, oh, no, it is setting through. Even though we're doing it in you know, what for an adult would be impossible probably to grasp any information we're doing it in you know three minute chunks at the most right, right, three to right. five minutes of, yeah. of doing something um do a grab next person do a grab you know but yet it kind of stacks up over months right and suddenly or and sometimes you know it's uh only a couple days because maybe they take that home and then they're asking their parents about it you know yeah and it's, if the parents are good, they've been paying enough attention to be able to go, oh, yeah, that's what you call this or whatever. Um, yeah, and I also uh, – uh, so you know those like um, – so Rob's question, uh, I'm really paraphrasing here I think, but it's basically you know, how do you get them to quit talking about Fortnite to focus mm-hmm. on Aikido? And uh, so this is just the answer for me, but uh, the unfortunate answer maybe for you from me is um, you don't. Uh, when they start to talk about Fortnite, you shift um, because what's happening is their attention span has been maxed on that subject. Yep. And so then you have to shift so they have to pay attention to a new thing. So basically what I do is I watch the kids and when the kids start screwing around more than working, then I shift what they're doing, right? right. And if you're always giving them new material to work on, then they, they, um, don't, have they don't have time to, to think about yeah. Fortnite or whatever, right? And so instead of them meeting my expectation, I watch what they can do and I shift on them, you know? So I have to have more material than they can run out of attention for, you know? And, and this is going to be challenging at first because I tell you, you're going to feel overworked because I did for a while. But what happens is you get in a groove and you go, oops, time to shift to this. Oops, time to shift to this. And, you know, anyone who's watched me teach has probably heard me say many times, oh, I see our attention span's done now. Right, right. And then I shift. I don't I don't force the kids to pay attention when they can't anymore. I go, oh, you're done. You're done paying attention. Let's shift and you can pay attention to this new thing. Kids are eager to learn. Oh, yeah. And I think it, too, like, it does depend from what you've talked about and what I've seen, like, on the composition of the group a lot. Well, so, yeah, that was going to be my question <laughs> is um, how – so there are some kids who just their attention spans are smaller or whatever their deal is, um, and they're getting to that point where they want to talk about Fortnite way early. And right. they might be talking to Fortnite uh, about Fortnite with the person next to him who is sitting there just staring – uh, nicely ahead um, and it seems like that's that's a, a difficult thing to deal with um, because they can begin to start degrading the entire group um, and so that's where you have to start mo- like stepping in and maybe setting people off the mat or trying different things uh, another important thing to that is you know I, I mean I think most people who've worked with kids for any period of time understand this but you have to be highly aware of pairings there are pairings yeah. that will work and pairings that won't work. Um, and so, you know, and that can really be a cluster sometimes because 
Um, Unlike a teacher in a class, you don't have a seating chart. That's so exactly right. Yep. They're all mixing around, doing all kinds of stuff. But you have to be aware that like these two kids are both trouble. So if I stick them together, they're going to destroy each other, and it's going to bring everything down. And I'll have to spend all my time paying attention to those two and not paying attention to the rest of the class. So then I have to take my best kids and put them with the worst kids. You know, like so I'm saying worst, best and worst, but, but yeah. basically the kids that are having the most trouble with the kids who are easily able to handle it. Now this you'll kind of feel bad for too because you're like, ah, my better kid, the kids who can pay attention, if I could put those two together, they would get much right. further. So it's all a juggling act, you know? And so like when I'm seeing that, I'm trying to make sure that I get the, the kids who can handle more material together for at least a little bit of time because they'll work and push each other during that time and then keep the kids who are destroying each other away as much as possible, right? But you're stuck with what you're stuck with. I do think it's, I mean, it's a little bit unfortunate, but that's honestly just what I found. That's just the way it is with the smart kids, the ones that are pretty attentive and, and not going to, mess around too much like you get set you get paired with the kids that need the most help you know and it does really um help you work on your people skills so you know and another thing i mean it is good for those those kids totally yeah it is good for them i mean i think i I was one of those kids you know you quickly they realize like well i gotta make this thing work how do i figure out you know they like that challenge um and for us most of the time i think it works out pretty well you know you see people uh they engage with each other in a, on their own levels, you know. Right, right. They don't just shut down and like, well, I can't help this kid. Yeah. So, so in addition to the, um, this goes, I think, right along with this. Um, in addition to the Kokyu being a, a major goal of mine with the kids, um, the ability to pay attention, control themselves. Um, uh, I also make teamwork a really high priority in the dojo because I want them to understand they're a community and they're helping each other or hurting each other constantly, and I want them. Them, I want that to be crystal clear to them that they are a little unit, right? And and so that means they've got to help each other. Um, and so over and over, we have tons of team working drills so that they're working together. Because the more you can have a coherent team on the mat, the more we can get through material together. And that'll help them. I've seen that a lot when you um, you have them encourage each other a lot. A you lot. know, when you have them do your. Um, their warm-ups where they're doing running across the mat or me walking or whatever and one kid's lagging behind whether it they're just having a hard time or they're screwing around and oh look I'm going so slow haha like the other kids are like come on come on you got this because you know if you don't finish in five seconds you make them do another one and right. I think that that's really important like that they're working as a team and they're saying hey like peer pressuring that other kid into working harder or screwing off less you right. know <laughs> and it also instills that individual responsibility uh of yep. realizing yep. like oh it's not just me you know because there are some kids who um you know they'll mess around you'll make them do extra exercises and they don't care they're like eh, exercise is fine for me i can run all day um but if they begin to realize that, like, oh, yeah, but there's other people that I'm affecting here that aren't having as good of a time, right? they, you know, quickly see, okay, I need to do this to right. the best of my ability, you know? The, the getting the kids through exercises, um, you know, so, like, uh, so we do a bunch of, I don't know how your school does it. This is basically what we do. When we start off class, our warm-ups and exercises are basically the same. And so they have a bunch of um, uh, generally animal-named exercises, right? So, like, the bear, the seal, uh, the, the monkey, crab, the monkey. monkey, the cat, like, all these different exercises, um, which they like those cute names, you know. And, and yeah. they're really hardcore calisthenics, actually. Like, uh, most, most of the adults have a hard yeah. time yeah. getting through these monkey exercises. Monkey is ridiculous. Um, 
frog. <laughs> I almost killed myself the other day. I was like, let's do some frog. <laughs> so, um, so you know, when we're trying to get the kids through exercise, I've had to have a lot of different techniques to get them through that um, because you have lots of different situations, right? Yeah. So, like one Josh pointed out, you know, kids who are athletic and they want to screw around. And so they don't care. You can make them do exercise all day. Um, and so, so, you know, like first stages to a kid being too slow and slowing down the whole class is um, I'll tell them they need to do more because they're not they're, they don't, haven't had enough exercise like that yet. So, mm-hmm. so by them going slow, clearly they're showing that they're not strong enough to do that yet. So they need to do more exercise so they get strong. I'm not punishing you. I'm explaining to you that you need to be stronger in that area. So you need to do more laps until you get to that strength level that you can finish it at the same speed and timing as everyone else. Um, and so then I assess because, look, there are some kids that generally that is the issue. Mm-hmm. They're weaker and they need more time, right? Mm-hmm. There are some kids who are, are being lazy, right? So, like, they just don't want to do work. Those kids, that snaps them out of that right away because they realize, oh, by being lazy right now, I actually have to do I'm going to do more. Right, right. And so that's great. It's like self-fulfilling kind of thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if I'm lazy now, it costs me more later. And I push this kind of thing over and over where, you know, if you're lazy now, it costs you more later. And this is a good life lesson, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you you don't attend to it first, then it just gets harder as we go, you know? So, so I assess that way. Then when I get kids who don't give a shit, they don't care. They're, you know, like Josh said, they're athletic and, and they want to screw around. They want to get attention that way. I was way. just going to say the ones who want attention, look at me, I'm going so slow. Exactly. Man. Right. You know? So then uh, I'll start using more peer pressure stuff where I'm like, I'm like, Hey, the whole class can get out of this next exercise. If you guys can finish this in 10 seconds. Right. And so then the whole class wants to go fast because they don't want to repeat it again as a class. And so they see to their peers what's cool is going fast so we don't have to do more exercises and if that kid's like look at me i'm so cool all the other kids are like no it's not cool dude we have to do that we want to get through this fast so we can get off the mat and then we can do other stuff that's more fun than this you know yeah so that's the tack i use uh with those kids um and then you get all kinds of different levels, but you need to always make it clear to them why that's an issue. And and for me personally, because I say so isn't always the, right. the that, issue and, and usually not. That actually. was what I was going to say earlier when you were saying you need to let them know why this is the thing. I was going to say, and because I say so is not a legitimate reason. Right. I mean, right. it's just not. It might be true. Right. But it's not a legitimate reason that you can say with the kids. The parents can do that, but you know. You're a professional. You're getting paid. So um, do what you need to do and really be clear about. That's right. And, you know, with that, you know, like um, there are moments where because I say so is right, but they need to understand, do you want to know Aikido? I'm an expert in Aikido. And so if you're here to learn Aikido, which is what you said you're here to do, then you need to listen to what I'm saying because I am an expert in Aikido, you know, like, and so that's the only because I say so, but it's not because I say so. It's because you said you want to learn Aikido and that's why you're here. And I'm telling you what you need to do to look at that. Um, on the subject of parent involvement, mm-hmm. so you have a lot of parents that stick around and watch the class um, while the, the kids are on the mat. Um, how much do you have the parents involved or not involved, you know, talking to their kids while their kids are on the mat or not or, you know? I would prefer 100% for parents not to be involved with what's going on the mat when, when the kid's on the mat. Um, and that goes everything up to serious injury. Um, so, so minor injury, uh, I, I still don't want the parents to be involved. Um, what I want 
to work with the kids is I want the kids to start understanding there is a world outside of their parents uh-huh. and another world to learn to work in. And the dojo is an example of another world construct, right? So like this is life stuff. Like, you know, you're going to have to be in different situations where um, different things are expected of you. And so like the crap you pull at home isn't going to work here, right? Unless they just coincide, right? Um, and I want the kids to have a, a real legitimate experience with me and them and I'm setting a rule set and this is what we're working on here you know mm-hmm. and um, if the parents are okay with that which they should be if they're not then they shouldn't bring them to me um, but you know if the parents are okay with that then they should let that process play out right uh-huh. um, and I think I do a good job for the most part making parents feel confident that I'm going to get their kids very safely through things I'm not going to cause any emotional damage to their kids uh, and I'm going to work at the level their kids need to um, but once the parents trust me then the parents really shouldn't be too involved I'm totally down with the parents staying and watching and I like that I yeah. think that's great that they stick around and watch um, although the parents are free to leave if they want but um, as far as like coaching from the side I don't like it and I try and discourage it and uh, I've had a really good time with that I don't know if it's my personality or the people that come to Aikido or what but I've had very few parents over the years who want to coach from the side mm-hmm. yeah it's, uh, I think it's it I I think it's nice when the parents come because the parents pick up stuff maybe they don't even understand they're picking up um, and a lot of times you will hear like, oh, yeah, we practiced our roles. At right. That's we cute. Practiced I think that's like, great. So cute. You know, yeah. whatever, the grabs or, oh, he was throwing, whatever the, the things are. Um, so I think that is that is nice. But for the most part, the parents sit on the side um, and, you know, watch. But they don't, you know, we've had major kind of freakouts on on the mat, like kid, <laughs> like major freakouts with the kids. Um, you mean just like meltdown? Just melt, oh, like yeah. just screaming yeah. and crying, um, falling down. And the kids and the parents, um, they're just on the side, you That's know. Good. So there's um, a good boundary and letting there. you know, letting Chris Chris handle it. Um, and then once it's handled, they can go to their parent and you know be consoled or whatever needs to happen. But that is afterwards, you know. Bow, get off the mat, you know. Right. Um, so that's just. Um, I yeah, very, I very few times had to talk to parents about, like, uh, that's not acceptable. And generally, because the community's so much that way that they the parents quickly see what's going yeah, on. They're the like, oh, okay. See what you know, parents and, are doing. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Do you have a lot of conversations with parents about the kids? Like, you know, one way or the other. Do you have parents coming to you saying, let me tell you about my kid, like, so you know more my kid when when they're on the mat? Or do you talk to the parents? you ask them about their kids or, you know, do you give them feedback? Like, what does that look like between you and parents? I'm a good people reader. So most of the time I get a good assessment of the kid. Uh, and a lot of times a, a more honest and true assessment than the parent would give me. Yeah. Um, uh, parents who have kids with real issues, you know, like, so the kid's autistic or the kid's got advanced ADD or something like that, right? Like um, those parents usually give me a heads up. Um, If not, I I realize in the first 10 minutes of class what's going on. Um, But like uh, uh, we might have some conversations about that. Um, Yeah, it's not, not a whole lot. Like, you know, like, uh, I mean, I was a problemed kid myself. And so like, and I'm well aware of how kids can act like assholes. Um, and so, uh, so I think I feel like I'm very comfortable with most of the problems that are going to come at me. And I think the parents see that, that like, it's not, not a big deal. You know, like sometimes our parents are like, you don't understand my kid. And, and it's like, like, yes, I, I do. I will in the first <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah, I, you know, like I'll get a good idea of what's going on with that kid. We've had lots. Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been teaching kids in some form now for years, you know, so you, you, you get to where you see most of it, you know. 
And it's probably like like you said, like what you see on the mat is probably generally a better read of what's going on truly with the kid's behavior because oftentimes parents, you know, because they're they're their kid, like they might have weird ideas about the kid, you know, and because the kid tries stuff at home and knows it works with their parent, right. they know how to manipulate. Like the parents might have a, a strange relationship that may be not helpful to the kid. And so that's why part right. of maybe unconsciously why the parents bring them to you so that they have that chance to right. be outside of right. those parents. And I think another important thing is to understand that you're also not the kid's parent. Um, yeah. You know, because you have them for whatever, an hour probably max with most kids' classes. Um your ability to handle that kid for that hour is going to be way easier than it is for that parent to to handle them the other 23, right? right. right? So, yeah. so don't think like, oh, because, you know, I got your kid doing really well in this hour that, you know, you need to listen to what I say. The parents <laughs> got their own coping mechanisms and they deal with that kid way right, more than right. you. So don't think you understand the kid better than the parent. You know, like I have many times had parents come to me and I won one time. This is an interesting case. Uh, the guy wanted to talk to me and pull me aside in the office. And then he said, so when my kid is here, he's really, really good and disciplined. And I was like, okay, cool. And he said, but at home, he's not. Um, can you tell him to be that way at home? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> and I said, look, I, I could tell him I that. I could tell man, him that, right. But it's not going to work. Will, but... Because if I tell him that, the reason he's acting that way is because I can hold him to this standard here. And that's why he acts that way here. If you want that to happen at home, you have to do that at home, right. you know. Um, but also, look, man, and I told him this, I only have him for an hour. You have him for 23 others. Right. And so it's like that's a lot more to deal with. And like you're going to lose your shit sometimes. You know, like if I had the kids for 20, I mean, I had them. I just had them for four right. and I, I thought about losing my shit once. Um, but, but it's like, you know, like you, you're going to have your trials. Right. And right. so like, don't think you're a bad parent for, I know this is not a parenting uh, episode, but like, you know, right. understand that as the teacher, you have a much better situation, a more ideal situation than they do. But beyond it for that, that hour, right. whatever they were. And that's, the the par- that's what the parents are paying you for. Right. It's to that's be exactly on right. your shit that's for right. one hour, 45 minutes or yeah. whatever it is. So I guess my overall things are, you know, have realistic expectations about what the kids can do, period, because of the limitations of being children. Okay. Um, be You have to be superior in your ability to provide information at the rates they can take it in. So you can't expect them to do what you want. You can start to do that with adults, but um, with kids you can't, you know. So I have enough material in enough different ways that I can keep you interested the whole entire time. That's, you know, put that on yourself is what I think. Um, and then uh, love the kids, care for them. Make sure that they're good. Don't play favorites. As hard as that might be, you cannot play favorites. Um, and then hold them accountable once that's true. Yeah. And if you do that, I think you'll find that uh, that your answer will be, yeah. you know. And it, that's not to say that will always happen, you know, because oh, there's always gonna be trials. you're going to get, get that yeah. one day. For sure, man. You, you know, it rained or it didn't rain or something happened. It, the yeah, they got candy got at school. They got, yeah, there's all there's kinds of be, shit. You know, there have been several days where it was like, what, like, re- what is going on right now? <laughs> I think you that know? happens. I mean, just anyone that deals um, with kids, you yeah, know. Yeah. So those Any, days yeah. are going to happen, but I think you can kind of mitigate all of that by doing, you know, kind of the stuff that we're talking about. I would say ninety percent of the time, I'm overjoyed with my kids' class. Like when they leave, I'm like, did a good job. The kids were good. We right. got some good work done. That was good. You know, there are. Oh, I guarantee you. I have, you know, every year, several times, I'm like, I 
fucked that up. You know? (laughs) It's interesting, too, because even a lot of times on bad days, you know, where you're just like, man, you're shaking your head. Um, Good stuff comes from it. You know, you you can tell that, like, oh, no, this class did not go the way that we had planned for it to at the beginning. But at the end, the kids, they learned something when they got off the mat, you know, right, and they all, right. and they all get off of them. They all get off the mat at the end also, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, no one quits, no one, you know, you, we make it through as a group. And at the end of that, there's good stuff that happens. Well, know? and you learn something as a teacher, you know, I won't do that again. Right. <laughs> you know, right, right. and I think I've, I've heard of friends that are teachers that that's the same thing is sometimes you have a lesson plan and it just goes to shit and you go, okay, well I can't plan a lesson like that again, or it's the wrong group. And I think that's the other right. thing. Um, I don't know if you mentioned it on this podcast, but something you've said to me, which is like, you got to, not be set in your lesson plan before you go in because you have no idea who's going to show up That's in right. class. Right. And, you know, so you might have little evil genius kid come into class one day and so your lesson plan's not going to work with him because he's going to distract everyone else. So got to switch it to something that will work with the composition of that's right. the group that that's you exactly have. Right. And that's what, you know, as a teacher, that's the golden standard you're rising to. I can teach whoever shows up today. Not, I can teach my constructed lesson plan as long as the perfect people show up to it. You know, like that's a beginning teacher. That's someone teaching their first classes and, and they're going to like, oh, some mistakes. I did. Um, but a good teacher is getting to the area where you can present me with anyone today and I can come up with the material so everyone has a good class. And that's that's Ike, you yeah, know, that's being able Ike. to handle whatever situ- situation comes up. That's right. Yeah. So good. We're at uh, 44 minutes, and it awesome. feels like we're winding up. Yeah. So I was just going to say, so good. Chris beat me, too. I don't want to always be the guy who's like, and on that note. <laughs> um, so uh, so hopefully this sound is good. Um, we're still screwing with the levels. I'm trying to get it louder. So so uh, last week I took our podcast on a couple bike rides. So um, I would see how it was oh, to yeah. ride my bike right. and, and listen to it, to, you know. Yeah, so nice. one ear only, by the way, I'd like to say. I was yeah. only listening very one good, ear only. So Safe, safety yeah, is important. So, so make sure you can hear what's going on in the world while you're riding a bike. But anyways, <laughs> I did that so I could see if I could hear us, you know, over all the crap. And so I think our podcast isn't high enough right. in volume. Yeah, bump it up a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. this one is higher up in volume. So it might be clipping a little. Um, so look, I'm, we're, this it's, is all the yeah. process. We're trying to figure it out. But hopefully it sounds better and louder and you can make it louder if you want. Um, if it was crappy, I'll hear this uh, tomorrow. So I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. I'll let you, I'll, I won't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and we've already mentioned some, well, at least one of our patrons because, you know, he helped us out with this episode. But... Let's go ahead and uh, go through the other ones yeah. so that people know how awesome they are. So thank you, as always, to our patrons. We have Rob Kitson, John Smith, Jim Sullivan, Lenny Acuna, Urbano, Matt Riley, Warwick Dean, and Grant Templin. And, of course, thank you to everyone listening. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and thanks to Ted Rose. Oh, yeah, he gives another say, donation yeah. this Ted week. Ted Rose yeah. uh, has been very instrumental in helping us to yes, get this really, podcast. really, really appreciate him. I think he's really just doing it because he really likes the Like, he's being selfish. <laughs> and he's like, I want this podcast so I can drive home and not have to mess with the volume. It's true. Whatever I have to do to make this thing work. Yeah. Thank you guys for your patience with all of our trials and tribulations. We're trying to make it better. <laughs> um, and again, of course, if you do have, you know, any thoughts, comments, um, always welcomed you want to know you have a question about aikido you have like you know this here you want this was great yeah thank you rob i Um, really really appreciate that we'd be more more than happy to chat about it yeah 
Um, also, I don't know if we've mentioned this for a while, but um, if you want to see some cool pictures, we do have an Instagram, Aikido Fresno. Um, we have a Facebook page that's more like our dojo Facebook page, but it's Aikido of Fresno. We do share some stuff on there. Um, and if also, you- if you are not doing anything in August, there is Combat Con, and yeah. Chris will be yeah. t- teaching several classes um, on different things, uh, not just Aikido. Um, so you can look at that and sign up, and I'm sure uh, it's a really great time. I can't really say enough how awesome i personally think it is i've been thinking about it too and to do this thing so um and it's 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 a nice four or five days of just hanging out with other martial artists who want to do martial arts in las vegas in las vegas Vegas. and there's lots of cool stuff to see and you know if you're one of them people that's into jedis or whatever you know they can do they'll do some mind tricks on you uh but then there's you know uh hema there's all sorts of stuff that's that's there for you to see um in a in addition to the classes and stuff um, that you can take. So, plus, plus, it's in Vegas. Think about Vegas, it. Yeah. CombatCon.com. Is that the website? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, if you yeah. Google CombatCon, yeah. you'll find it. Um, and, you know, if yeah. you're there, you want to take a class or find us, please Say hello. Yeah, yeah, please. We'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, um, you can go ahead and rate our podcast on uh, iTunes, on whatever we're on. I think there's ways to... To drop us a rating anywhere that does help because then people see it. Um, so if you have a chance, you know, drop us a couple stars or a review or whatever. Um, you know, let people know that you like it. Tell your friends. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. we we didn't do it last time, but um, oh, tip of the day. A tip of the oh, day. Oh, you did do it last time, right? You made yeah. Josh. You made Josh do a tip of the what day. Was the tip of you the forced day? him into it. Tricky. Oh, oh I did. Okay. Well, Chris, I didn't it's even your know I was doing it. Oh shit! Tip of the day. This is your thing. Remember okay. when we said this, and I was like, Maya's thing is going to be a tip, of the, day. a tip of the day. I got another thing. Uh, All right. Tip of the day. Um, tip of the day. Um. Oh God. Now, now I'm on the spot. Now I can't think of one. This is why I didn't want to come up with a goddamn tip of the day because every day I'm like, Oh, I got to think of this. It's actually a uh, tip of the week. Just, oh yeah, tip of the, the week. Tip yeah. of the week. Whatever the it week. is. Well, let's have it be kid related then. Okay. What is it? Um. <laughs> don't don't shake the baby. Don't shake the baby. Don't shake your children. That's <laughs> your tip of the week. Do not <laughs> hurt. No, no children were hurt in the making of this podcast. <laughs> That's true. Okay, we're gonna have to work on this. So next, sorry. Week, we okay, will yeah, have that was my fault. Week, and we will plan better to actually have something. One of us will wow. come up with that. That will be good. So there yeah. you go. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. <laughs>